0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 85th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games. My colleague, Paul Dean. Hi. And me, Quentin Smith. We have been talking about board games for seven years now. There you go. Uh, yeah. Without stopping. Without, no, there's Without been. sleeping. Sometimes it feels that way. Uh. But that's just how it's got to be. Paul, we have got. A humdonker of a show.
1: Why don't you tell me what is on this humdonker of a show? We are going
0: to be talking about a bunch of board games, including um Kimono, which is a kind of domino-related uh, Japanese war game that has nothing to do with Japan or war. <laughs> but it's really good. Uh, I was impressed. Yes. Um, we're going to be talking about Taj Mahal. Yeah. Um, an update of, uh, of an old game from Rainer Knizia. They keep coming back. They keep coming back. It turns out, Dr. Reiner Knizia has like hundreds of games and literally some of them are really good. Um, we're going to be talking about trading on the Tigris. Yes. A new trading game about being a Babylonian and occasionally asking people if they want a religious fish. Or a goat. Or I've right. got,
1: do you want a goat? I've got a lot of goats. Is, I it, want is them. it a
0: fascist goat?
1: It's... <laughs> let's move on uh, I
0: don't yeah. want to spoil that one the Trading oh. on the Tigris is uh, yeah very interesting trading game we'll be talking about that later uh, I've been playing GKR Heavy Hitters do yeah. you know what GKR stands it's for it's giant for?
1: killer robots and it's huge robot miniatures and it looks Very sexy. I think they are the
0: nicest pre-painted miniatures that money can buy. Wow, that's a thing. Yeah, well, I'll be talking a bit about GKR for sure. Okay. But then, uh, the sort of grand finale of all the games we're going to be talking about, we have been playing a lot of Root. Root. The game that everybody is talking about. The game of the moment. Uh, Absolutely. And actually, when board games have a game of the moment, it tends to be a bit flash in the pan. The hype will usually last for maybe two weeks. But Mm -hmm. with Root, the hype... It's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. It's got squatter's rights. And uh, you know what? I'm going to say right here, right now, it deserves all of that. I think it's a fascinating and really good game about, well, it's about animals, animals. in a forest having a <laughs> war. But uh, well, how, wow. how would you describe Root's
1: uh, central thing? It's it's this a asymmetrical thing with all these different factions who have different strengths, different weaknesses, and it's a bit about territory control and it's a bit about fighting and it's a bit about trading and it's a bit about being subversive, I guess, yeah. because all of the factions are better in certain ways at doing some of those things.
0: Yeah. And for example, the raccoon is really good at walking into a clearing and killing 100 birds. Or just
1: finding some items and then the items get broken and he has to go into the forest and repair his items and it, drink
0: tea. It's, uh, it, yeah, Root is fascinating. It's great. We're going to be telling you all about it later on in the podcast. Um, then we 've got a reader mail um, mm, but, about money uh, about all about money all about money uh, a lot of our reader mails are about money and sort of cost effectiveness. This one is about being irresponsible, about throwing money at games and uh and i 'm just going to say it gambling uh, <laughs> I, I did it Paul I said the g word uh,
1: but what is at the top of our schedule before uh, we descend
0: before into w- sin we <laughs> we 're going to be talking about. Well, I mean, now you've formalised it, it's weird. I just wanted to talk about some, like, what we've been up to. Oh, I'm sorry. you've. I've been watching men abseil out your window. Yeah, because up here in the... Uh the Quinplex, the shut-up-and-sit-down Natorium, which is on there's, the 22nd story.
1: Yeah, and there's men going all the way up to the 24th story and repairing, did you say, uh,
0: guttering and... Grouting, Grouting yeah.
1: and fixing, and they just abseil up and they abseil down, and they play music out of their hips.
0: Yeah, they have radios on their belts, like a sort of... Um fun time batman like Like, yeah uh but yeah say like a budget sas (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what it feels like i woke up this morning and went to my office where a lot of shut up and sit down gets made where we make all the content and then there was a man outside my window which would be normal if you know i wasn't kidding i am on the 22nd floor and it's weird to look out from that height and see a man outside your window like terror at twenty thousand feet you know the old um twilight zone episode uh, also, you know what I've been doing, Paul? What? I went to the circus. Yeah, you did. I did. I took my wife to the circus. How was that? It was awesome. Like it was really. Uh, I, I was shocked. I don't know. Um, circus is obviously not the most popular form of entertainment anymore, which just meant we could sit at the front and watch like Kazakh horse acrobats and like wow. a, a little budgie circus. And what? Yes, yeah. a budgie circus. Well, you're aware of the concept of a flea
1: circus. Is it, I don't know what a flea circus is, but a budgie circus just seems like someone put that in Photoshop and expanded it like, uh, a, a thousand percent. and was like, what if we had these but bigger? And I still don't know what that is. It's just bigger now.
0: Uh, it Well, it's littler, isn't it? Cause, not than fleas. Oh, no. But well, what it was, was part of the show was they had like seven trained budgies that would like... Get in little cars, drive them around, little budgy clown act. It sounds like I'm making this up or that it I was hallucinating. does. But no, it was just some really well trained birds. Uh, that would, like, run up ladders and lift each other up and go around on swings like a little bird acrobat Thank act. God. I had no idea you could train budgies to do that. But, yeah, it was um, Zippo's Circus, which I think is a pretty long-running and famous circus here in the UK. I went on a whim. I thought it would be a bit retro. But actually, I was, was very co- good. I was really entertained for the duration. Turns out... And it was nice to have uh to be part of something that's been going on for like two hundred and fifty years yeah you know like circuses have been like part of human history and entertainment for so long and it was just it was just awesome so like a horse acrobat is a person on a horse who does a stunt like they stand up or they do a pose and the horse
1: runs around in a circle
0: and, yes yeah because c- of the weird restrictions of uh, of the stage which is like that circle the horse yeah. would just run around in a circle as fast as it could to add like drama to the tricks and then the tricks was often the rider going uh under the horse, like between its four legs to climb back up onto the other side, which when a horse is running at like 25 miles an hour, it's, yeah. it's terrifying. That's
1: quite a big deal.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they were standing up on horses. There was a lot of like two horses running like parallel and then you sort of straddle them. Horse
1: climbs up a ladder and lifts the other horse up.
0: Yep. and then, Drives in a little car. Yeah, it was... I mean, you're a scoffer and a mocker right now, Paul. I
1: I do think this is really interesting. It just does also sound like it was a dream that
0: you had. Well, the circus, you know what? It's a land of dreams. But uh, I did, yeah. I wanted to big up the circus at the start of this podcast. If you haven't, I think that's nice. If you haven't been to a circus recently, why not go? They're a classic cultural institution. But, like, don't go out of sympathy. Go just because it's an
1: awesome show. Did you go into any tents where, like, somebody told you uh, your fortune?
0: No, or... there was just the one big top. Okay, due to what I would presume are like budgetary restrictions. I don't know. Probably, when people downloaded this podcast, they didn't expect like an infomercial on circuses. The circuses are great. Sponsored
1: by Zippo Circus.
0: The people at home cannot see the sincerity in my eyes uh, as I deliver all of this. I believe that you thought this was really cool and it does sound quite good. It was really it sounds good. sounds quite good. Why not go to Zippo Circus, everybody? Yeah. Shut up and sit down. Sponsored <laughs> by Zippo Circus. We're not sponsored by circuses. But we would be if a circus wants to sponsor us.
1: If you're... Is there... Oh, my God. Is there anyone out there who works for a circus who'd like to get in touch?
0: <laughs> yeah, we could... Uh, we could film a review of Meeple Circus in a big top,
1: especially if, like, you work for, like, I don't know, a good, nice circus. Not if you're just in some strange place. How and, like, would you define it's a full bad of circus? Mangy animals who aren't treated very well. I tell you what, because the... I know many of them are treated well if you know the circus is properly circused.
0: Yeah, uh, it was a famous. What am I, saying? I don't know. Uh, let's talk about something more in our wheelhouse, which is board games. Uh, yeah, let's start with Gunkimono then. Oh um, my goodness. From Renegade Games. Yes. Ooh, it's a tricky one to describe. I, I'm going to try. Okay. I'm going to start by saying it's a
1: retheming of an old game about farming that I've temporarily forgotten the name of. Okay. That is about laying down fields and then putting barns in fields. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, and it's not a bad theme, they just rethemed it as you lay down groups of samurai units that are different types of, of warrior. And then you occasionally put uh, forts on top of them. You put fortresses. And the idea is you want to create continuous groups of the same colour of samurai. You can lay tiles on top of other tiles. Mm -hmm. um, And that doesn't stop a group being continuous. And then sooner or later you try and lay lay permanent claim to that by sticking one of your, your forts on top. The challenge being that people can, even if they can't move your fort, they can still try and cut your territory in half by laying new tiles down. Things like that. It's basically... I don't know, shape making and you want to try and make a big shape of the same colour and score it while stopping other people from making shapes of big shapes of same colour and scoring them. It doesn't sound exciting, but I thought it was a really good kind of space controlling challenge.
0: Yeah, I think the closest parallel in terms of like how hard it makes our job is probably Azul, um, yeah. the award-winning tile game from last year, only in as much as... It's a game about laying tiles. How is that exciting? But as anyone who, who's played Azul knows, it's very exciting. It's very clever. Gunky feels the same way, but you're not placing individual tiles. You're placing yeah. dominoes, really. Sort of two-sided rectangular shapes. Yes. Uh, each side of the... I, I want to call them a domino, but I guess you'd call them a gunky mono. Uh, each side of each gunky um has two colours. So it might mm-hmm. be a green samurai and a yellow archer. Then you put that down somewhere on the board, and then hopefully put in the green and the yellow each next to a big green and yellow thing, gradually growing out kind of a field of green people. Uh, getting How a- appropriate. Yeah, it made more sense when it was a farming game, right? Yes. And it was like a field of potatoes yes. rather than a field of spearmen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, players might go around gradually adding to this big yellow uh, field of spearmen, but eventually, um, players will unlock fortresses through a scoring mechanic, uh, which we won't bother to explain here, because it's sa- it's, there's no way to make it sound exciting. But eventually, you'll unlock a little wooden fortress. You can put it on that yellow field of Spearmint, and then it's yours. Then all the other players in the table will now have this new problem where they want to try and reduce the size yes. of that yellow field by filling it with like green and red and blue soldiers. Meanwhile... Because that fortress is scoring you points every turn, and this is really like the the most exciting thing for me. It's the way that oh yeah, you put down little dominoes and you get some points, but once you get a fortress down, you're getting those points every single turn.
1: And you only have a limited number of fortresses. It's what two?
0: Yeah, you, so get you have two. to pick those quite wisely because once they're down, they're down. That's it. Yep, that's it. It's a lovely shared thing, lovely thing to look at. Really nice three dimensionality because as you put down these dominoes, they can't like be. If you want to place a domino on top of existing soldiers, it has to be flat, which yeah. means that you can't put it like half on a domino and half off. So you have to like prop it up with these little supports, and everyone only has five of those support tiles. So by the end of the game, you've built this like little mountain of dominoes, which is so pleasing to look at, especially because you've got a three dimensional mountain with three dimensional forts sticking out.
1: What a game. <laughs> it's, it is really neat. And I don't know how to make it sound as exciting as it is because it it's just about creating shapes and making the shapes bigger. And yet every turn is a challenge of exactly where do I put this tile to both score myself as much as possible and hopefully slow one or more of the other players down.
0: Yeah, and that's it. Like the great move in Gunky Mono is something that gets you, gets you points while also muddying your opponent's, like, four. And that, that's holdings. every
1: turn. Every turn is that decision. It's like...
0: Yeah, you're making... Every turn matters. Absolutely. Uh, and I think maybe we're guilty of, like, avoiding some of these games that are just, like, simple tile lane games. I'm yeah. thinking about a game we haven't done really any coverage of, which is Number 9, spelt N-M-B-R.
1: Yeah, we've touched on it before. It's really it's good. it's come up once or twice, and it's extremely good, and it's so simple, and it's also a game that I've been able to teach people in, like, five minutes.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, because... Uh, Shut Up and Sit Down is moving to Twitch uh, very, 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 very soon. Mm. Like, I can count the days on the fingers of two hands now. About a week. About a week. And uh, it was when we'll be streaming board games. But there'll be announcements, so don't worry. And obviously, if you miss the stream, that's fine, because we're going to be uploading our playthroughs of games to YouTube. Oh. Um, more news on this next week. But, uh, yeah, I think, hopefully, streaming will be a good opportunity to just show people us. Um, us playing games like Gunky Mono and Number 9, stuff that we might not want to review because it's like, well, this doesn't lend itself to any jokes, it's really abstract, it's hard to show why it's fun. And we've discovered, yeah. a lot of the time, the reviews we do that sell the least copies are of games that are so simple that you can't see how they'd be fun. I'm thinking about yes. Flam Rouge, the outrageously good bicycle racing Extremely game.
1: Extremely good. And the thing is, sometimes you've just got to play a game. You've got to show people the whole thing.
0: Yeah, so sometimes yeah. rather than doing a review, if we want to like get a game into the hands of people, sometimes we choose to do a Let's Play or now a stream instead. And I think Gunky Mono is a great candidate for a stream because we could review it and people wouldn't get it. But if they watched us having fun, they'd be like... I want a sweet slice of that fun. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we're definitely going to try and get some more uh, footage, some more coverage of Gunky Mano and probably number nine as well on the site. Uh, Moving on, shall we talk about the game... Taj Mahal. So this... When was this? This was a 90s Knitia release? Yeah, that was when he was uh, on fire releasing great games like Through the Desert, yeah. Ra, Tigris and Euphrates. Is
1: modern art the 90s or is that a bit after?
0: You know what? I'm not actually... I've All the confidence has fallen out of my armpits and I'm no longer sure any of those games I listed it, were from the 90s. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Is this good period, this good stable, this good
1: breeding stock of yes, titles. Yes, exactly. Uh, and it's another one that has come back and it's another one we've tried again. We came away from from the game thinking this is pretty good.
0: Yes. Uh, the the There's a company that makes all of these uh, Nitzia remakes It used to just be in-house at Fantasy Flight, then it became Windrider Games, and now I think it's just called Euro Classics. Yeah. Um, but we've reviewed a bunch of them on the site before. People can Google our reviews of games we recommend like Ra, ...through the desert and Tigris and Euphrates. This is the fourth one in that series, uh, and just like all the others... ...it's an old Great Nittier game with a beautiful redesign. It has, yeah, things like the art, the presentation, the style of it... ...all these cute little
1: uh, miniatures and things that you get now, the card art... Everything about it looks so much more colourful. It looks so much more vibrant.
0: And what colours. The player colours in Taj Mahal, we'll get to what the game is in a second, don't worry, but the player colours are the nicest I've seen all year or maybe years. Like Usually games do like, you can be green or blue or red and really you can, what Taj Mahal shows is like, you can offer like different shades. You can be crimson. Yeah, or jade. Or weird, like not quite cream, but not quite sand. It's like a kind of, Khaki color, which but
1: they work. They also work in the context of the game for something that is supposed to be sort of about an area of of Asia where we, you know, we might not think of a humdrum color palette that we're used to.
0: Exactly. It's it's it, it's not um, it's not exotic or Orientalizing India. No, it's just sort of showing India in the light of yeah, this place is going to have different norms to you. The colors, the culture, the look should feel not alien, but just like a bit oh, I don't like using this word, but a bit exotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the board is really nice. It's it's kind of a celebration of uh of that area of the world without resorting to any stereotypes whatsoever. Um so anyway, I should explain the game. So Taj Mahal is a game set when the Mughals were ruling India, um with that the sort of um Arabian uh I want to say invaders because Mm -hmm. I don't think that's problematic because they invaded like thousands of years ago, so I'm not going to annoy anyone. Um, But when they were ruling India and you are all part of the Mughal King's Court um, and you're touring India. So there's 12 locations on the board and in each location that you're going to visit in a random order, um, you host an auction. So you travel around all these 12 regions of India um, and so the game is played over 12 auctions and in each area... Players play cards from their hand that are like sort of bids. And each card in your hand is going to have pictures of different people. So maybe it has a picture of, like, the princess. And if you play that card, you've got some points towards winning the princess's favour at that stop of the tour. Yes. Or maybe there's a picture of, like, the general and you can win him... Uh, you go round and players will be like, I play a card with a general and an elephant on it. So I'm currently winning there, but then Paul plays a card with a general and a princess, which means Paul and I are now tied for the general, which makes both of us unhappy because neither of us will actually win that person's affection. Now at any point, players can be like, I'm just out. You just drop out of the auction. Um, which means then you can collect more cards. There's a little shop of cards, and if you're the first to drop out, if you're the first to say, you know what, I'm just not going to... Yeah, even... I'm not part of this round of play. Yep. then suddenly the rewards are immediate and massive. You get first pick of the cards for the next region. Um, so, but, Or you can stay in the auction and just keep playing cards. And eventually, when you choose to drop out, if you are currently leading the bid on any of the five things you can win, you get that reward. Like, you get to build a castle on the map... And You get points from like linking all these little beautiful plastic castles together. So, you might be desperate to just win one uh, auction really quickly in this region because there's one spot where if you can put a castle there, it'll link up with all your other castles in a sort of ticket to ride style yes. where you're drawing a line through India. Um, or, you might just really want the elephant, you might go elephant heavy strategy. Like, it's I'm not going to go, but and- I mean,
1: there's there's reasons for all of this and reasons why you would do this. Like, there's that there's it feels like there's this element of area control where you're both planning what you're building now and you're thinking about how big everything is going to be in the future you are set collecting you're trying to collect all the spices and all the things that you want to
0: trade yep you just you want to put those plastic little uh, palaces down because they're so pretty and nice yes
1: yes and so you've always got this thing in your head of this element is very important to me I don't want to get behind on this element but I don't want to get behind on this element but I don't want to get behind on any of the elements <laughs> but I can't win all of them all of the time no and this is this is the constant mental challenge, and all of the rules in the framework for this are very simple. They just present you with infinite possibilities that are ruined by other players who put put a card down and say you know i 've now got the king 's favor and i 've got the general 's favor and that's ruined everything for you
0: yeah it 's this really horrible auction where um anyone can win like effortlessly by just playing a card and then getting all the advisors for cheap, and that's great. But yeah. the only thing that stops them from winning is other players like staying in the auction. But yes. it's not like a traditional auction game where someone bids one and then I bid three, and then the other person is like, oh, I'm dropping out, it's too much money. In this, it's like, you bid one, I bid one, you bid two, I bid two, you bid it's three, It's Because I bid
1: three. it's one, yeah, it's always so close, and then two... Because if you drop out, you lose all the cards you've played anyway exactly so the longer you 're in the more invested you are <sighs> which is
0: horrible it's, it's really horrible. it's really mean it's, it's it doesn't play like modern art or Ra, no. which are runner knitzia's other auction games um but it's no less just agonizing you it's it's very kind of um like, modern art could be described as, like, quite fussy. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And uh, you can Google our modern art review if you want to find out Rani- about Ranik Knitsy's auction game about buying and selling art. She's extremely good. It m- might be my favourite game of his. Oh, it's very interesting. Know. I don't know if it's my favourite. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, Taj Mahal is so weird because it's not fussy. You just only ever, like, make a decision. It's your turn. Do you play one of your three cards or not? And that decision is so hateful, <laughs> you know? Like... It's got that nice thing going on where when the uh, the tour arrives at a location and you go, ah, you know what, I'm just dropping out immediately. You go to the shop, you get some more cards, and that's actually really nice because then you just got to get to watch your, watch your friends rip each other apart. Yeah, and it only makes you more powerful for the next turn. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's got this lovely thing where maybe the most satisfying thing is not winning an auction, although that feels really nice. The most satisfying thing is watching two of your friends play <laughs> card after card after card after card, like in this massive, horrible headbutting competition. Yeah. And it's delightful because yeah. you know every time that both of those players are stubborn and refuse to drop out. They're making you, yeah, more powerful yeah, for next turn. They're making you
1: more powerful for next turn, and
0: yes, yes. I mean,
1: it's it's funny. It shouldn't be funny, but it also is.
0: Yeah, it's really good, and uh, I can't see it. It's one of those games. We played it with four. I would love to play it with two or three mm-hmm. or five. Mm-hmm. I just want to play it again. It's beautiful. It's absolutely going in my collection next to Through the Desert and Ra and Tigris and Euphrates. Um, and, ooh, uh, Samurai, yeah, gosh, where is my copy of Taj Mahal? Sorry, I've just, Oh, this it is not... might no... be in the stack right
1: here. Oh, it is, thank goodness. Ooh, We've I... made a huge game stack to put <laughs> the microphone on top of as we stand around it in podcasts, and it is one, two, three, four, five, fifth. The fifth game down. They're not in any order, they're just...
0: The uh, the listeners to this podcast will have heard the real fear in my voice <laughs> as I realise I don't know where my copy of Taj Mahal uh, is or was. Science right here. It's right here. Thank goodness I want to play it later. If you give it a tap, yeah, you'll be able to hear that on the mic. So that's some sort of, uh, like an IMAX experience for podcast listeners. We're bringing our physicality to them. Let's talk about a game that really both excited us quite a lot. Uh, Let's talk about... Trading on the Tigris. Oh,
1: so this probably, of all the games that we're going to talk about today, is the one I am the most excited by. Oh, great. Yeah, thinking about this, thinking about this roster we have, we, uh, like, initially I thought this is just a game we were going to trade cards and set collect, and that's kind of what's true. We're four different, or we were when we played four people, four different factions along the lovely River Tigris, and we're trading goats and fish, and we're trying to collect sets of them, because the more of each thing you have, the more points you have. So you don't want to be the person who has, like, a fish and a wheat and a goat. You want to be the person who has three goats, and you give your wheat to someone else who wants all the wheat, and it's great.
0: That's yeah. how trading works. And we should stress, this is a game set in prehistory. It's not a weird game where, some, for some reason, you're trading wheat, like Catan. It's like, this is... Trying to sort of half assedly model uh, almost prehistoric civilizations. Like yes. Like the B- Babylonians and the Assyrians? And maybe. Maybe. I can't remember. It's a bunch I of feel bad now. civilizations we haven't heard of.
1: But there's things like also... Um, oh, we
0: got it wrong. It's Trade on the Tigris. Trade on the Tigris. By Jeff Engelstein and Ryan Sturm.
1: Jeff Engelstein, who we rather like as we like, well.
0: We like Jeff Engelstein a lot. Um, we really like Space Cadets. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we also like Space Cadets Dice Duel. Yeah uh all the cadets all the dice so uh, you have this basic thing of
1: there are some basic goods each turn you produce a certain number of basic goods which means you draw some cards from the deck and you deal those out to other people but gradually the goods coming in become more exotic you get to uh draw goods from a separate deck that are a l- little more exciting and they might be things like gems and lap- lapis lazuli am i lapis saying lapis lazuli lazuli
0: oh god We're not not experts on circuses or gems.
1: But, you know, more exciting goods come in and then you want to hold some of those, trade some of those. And then also you kind of create a little bit of an economy at the same time. And also, as you get more prosperous, you attract barbarians who might potentially attack you. Mm -hmm. So you have these growing barbarian counters and they might raid all your coffers. So that's the thing you have to keep an eye on. And at the same time, your society just becomes more democratic and more authoritarian Mm. and worships one god or the other. And the weird, hilarious thing is a lot of the goods that you trade, when you have them in your hand, uh, their secondary power is a thing that you know, shifts your government or it shifts your population. So you end up saying to someone like, do you want this goat? By the way, it will make you more fascist <laughs> because it's a, it's a goat that for some reason also, you know, tips your government one space in this direction. And it doesn't matter which you are. What does matter is that if you are too much of one of these things, uh, you lose points at the end of the game or you don't score as many points as you could. Uh, Or if you end up kind of in the middle between both, you don't score very many. So you want to be a democracy or a dictatorship, but you don't want to tip over the edge, and you don't want to end up compromising. So you're trading goods, but you're also thinking about the society you build and the religion you put together, and you're doing all of this in real time. So it's like constant real time Catan of like, do you want this? I've got who wants some? I've got three fish. Who wants my fish? Who wants my democratic fish?
0: Well, this you, I might say. uh, Paul. I will take that fish off you. You know what? I'm desperate for fish, as long as it's not a democratic fish. (laughs) And then you might... uh, Well,
1: but you you can lie. I can lie about... Like, we have to tell the truth about the good, don't we? But we don't have to tell the truth about the secondary effect of the good. Yes,
0: and this is an enormous weird mechanic in the game because uh, Paul might say, oh, I've got loads of democratic fish. I'll trade you these democratic fish for the thing. We pass the cards to each other. Turns out Paul was lying, and actually, those are fascist fish. (laughs) Um, But that's fine, because I was lying as well. And... You know the goats I gave Paul don't actually push him towards worshiping this one god, but uh, the other. It's like they, they are the goats of Marduk, Marduk, Marduk Hasta I was, or something. Uh, yeah, one mm. basically uh, Marduk being a more aggressive, sort of violent uh, god. With you know the people who practice that religion practice more like aggression and uh, less. Um, what's the word? Where you accept your neighbors, compassion, empathy, L- well, whatever, sympathy, all of that. So, uh, whereas the other god is like more nice and more to do with trading and culture. Yeah. Um... But and then, so not only do you have this whole, that's the kind of foundation for the game, <clears throat> but then what complicates it significantly is every turn, everyone gets to draw powers based on where they are on the god or government track. So let's say you, you know, went full tyrant and you got quite far up the tyrant track, you might get a card that means now you can raid other players. You can go out there and send an army or you can sponsor pirates or anything like this. Um, but... That gets tied into the trading phase because often these um, powers come with cards that you can trade away, or in fact yes. you must trade away.
1: Yes, some so, of the powers you can't actually use yourself, can you? You, have to, you gift them to someone else each turn.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So for example, a very early one is Farming Tools, and Farming Tools is essentially a wild card. So if you're collecting you know, fish or flax or wheat, then I can give you my farming tools or trade it to you, and then that will be one fish or flax or wheat. Um, or later on in the game, I might have, everyone might be being raided by my pirates every turn, but I might be able to trade away this little card that's like the opportunity to avoid my pirates. Um, I think you and I might uh, disagree on this because it really, really excited you, right? Yes. I found it, especially towards the end, overwhelmingly fiddly okay um I felt that there were just so many little cards so many little things to negotiate yes so many powers so many considerations it felt there is um, a kind of backstory about this game because um Jeff and Ryan the designers um, run a podcast called Ludology that's all about Kind of the science of uh, of board gaming. Yes, and it is a fantastic podcast. And he recently did a book called Game Tech, which is yes, he did a collection of uh, sort of segments from that podcast. That's so so clever and good. And I read it cover to cover in like two days. Um, that's Game Tech. If people want to Google that, by Jeff Engelstein. Um, and this game I believe came about kind of as a hypothetical because it was incorporating tons of ideas from that podcast series and that definitely feels like what the game is it's so many good fun ideas like the trading and the way you get pushed up these tracks and the way you then get powers that make you feel really cool and you get to trade those powers away but To me, the game was so many little decks of cards, so Mm. many powers, so much upkeep, so much throwing cards around. I did really enjoy it. I don't want to bury the lead. I would play it again if someone really wanted to, and I would probably have a really good time. But as far as negotiation goes, I didn't feel like negotiation was the high point of it. I felt like the sort of concept of the game was the high point of it, but I never like had any sort of hard-nosed negotiation with people like I would in a game like Chinatown or even the Estates. Um, It felt like we were talking and that was part of the game, but it was not the fun part of the game. Does that make sense?
1: I think, you know what, I think that's a really good point. And particularly, I mean, towards the end of the game, because you have so many bonus powers and you're drawing, like you have a, array of cards in front of you by the end of the game which tell you about all the basic resources you draw all the bonuses you draw each round or yeah. the special things that fire each round I was okay with that because it felt like it scaled up, like I started the game at a point where there are only a few cards to look at and a few things to consider and then each turn a couple more get added in Yeah. but you're absolutely right, by the end of the game you have this whole plethora of cards in front of you And they're all like, now it's your turn. You do this, this, this. You can't do this. You trade this away. This power doesn't fire the same way anymore. I was okay with that. I can absolutely see how somebody wouldn't be.
0: Mm. I'm thinking about as well the negotiation games that I really like. Um, so a couple of obvious examples are, I like Chinatown, which mm-hmm. I believe is getting a reprint at some point because Z-Man still have the license and it's just an amazing, amazing game. Um, but Chinatown is fun because you really get to hold your friends under a barrel. If you end up with properties that they want to like expand their laundrette or whatever... You might, you very much get to sort of crack your knuckles and be like, oh, ho, you have come crawling to me. Um, and that's fun. I think about sidereal confluence, which yeah. Matt and I reviewed, I think, at the beginning of this year January, uh, January or February, January. January, maybe February, yeah. But um, sidereal confluence is an incredibly complicated and difficult and very fiddly, but it also has incredible energy in the negotiation because the economies function like um, as, about as well as resources that you can put in, which means when you're bartering for resources in the game, every cube you can squeeze out of your neighbours. If, if you manage to give me four blacks for what I'm asking for instead of three, then that is a massive bonus to me. So yeah. you're really driving hard bargains for the whole game. And you can get absolutely screwed. Trading on the Tigris felt, like, it was packed with so many good ideas. And if someone wanted to buy it, I wouldn't stop them. Um, I think they'd have a good time. But... The idea is what made me excited. The actual trading was very often like, do you want a bronze? i do, does anyone have a bronze? You have a bronze. Okay, I'll give you a, you know, a, a fish for a bronze. Great, done. You know, it didn't feel like evocative or exciting. Mm. There was so much going on maybe that I couldn't do the calculations required to know exactly what was a really good deal or not. Okay. No, it's it's um Paul and I just looked it's at each valid. other in a moment of intense conflict. It's valid.
1: I don't know what to say beyond, like, there's there's always going to be the element of personal taste as well.
0: Of course. Did you feel that when you were trading, though, that you, you know, you'd be like, oh, that was a really good deal? Because I felt like it was just kind of... Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. Whereas in Chinatown, definitely, you can do a deal and be like... you
1: The way that you're invested in things, I mean, that's the thing, I guess, with Tigris. Every round, because you're starting again and you have a fresh set of whatever... You can put a couple of things in your warehouse between rounds, but you don't have that same build-up of investment in a thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's... there's, I think the reason people would like it is that there is so much stuff to look at and play with and think about. But the problem I have is that, I guess, there's so much to think about that no one thing really matters. Like, the barbarian mechanic is really nice. If you trade goods you receive might have barbarians attached and that's really funny because then someone gives you a fish and it's the barbarians are following the fish I guess and then you get barbarians added but while that mechanic is really clever I didn't feel like I was in. Con- I didn't feel like the punishment for being hit by barbarians was big enough that I was really concerned about it okay. it was just one more thing to think about yeah. yeah I got raided by barbarians it sucked but it didn't I, I wouldn't have changed how I played to avoid that I don't think I could have avoided that but it was still one more set of tokens, one more thing to consider, one more... Maybe I should play it again. Maybe I got the wrong impression. Maybe it would be less fiddly on a second playthrough.
1: I I like that you have a different impression of it and that you got those things out of it because I think that's really valid. Mm. And I think that's a very good point. And yeah, because you draw new sets of cards each round, it's not as if you become the person who builds fish infrastructure or gets really invested in fish that's no. not what happens no you do just like this turn you're crazy about precious stones and next turn you're crazy about goats yeah and that's fine and i like i like the speed the fast trading and the fact that you can have it timed and be like, you know, we have 90 seconds of this or whatever. I like that. Yep. But it's it's a good point. Maybe you are just intrinsically more excited about just building up concentrated power over a game the way that you do maybe. in China Tech.
0: I think the... Maybe I'm not, you know, as clever as, you know, some of the designers behind this game, but so I'm going to resort to analogies, which is my strong suit. Yeah. It felt, right. If you imagine, like, some negotiation games are like a sort of racetrack. This felt a lot like... Uh, kind of go-karting, or like almost bumper cars, there was so much bouncing off the sides, there was so much sort of like clunking into mechanics of like, oh I guess I get some extra culture, oh I guess I get a barbarian, oh I guess I go up this god track when I wanted to go down the god track. And none of those individual sort of moments of, you know, bam, like, oh I have to do this upkeep now, none of them felt truly significant. The one really strong pinch point in the game was at the very final round, trying to make sure I ended up exactly where I wanted to on the god tracks and the government tracks, because if you go too far, if you go too far in uh, down like a tyranny, yes. you become like it's or like what is it? If you basically go down, go too far down, fast, either of them, yes, you end up with a government that's like too woolly or too harsh. Similarly, with the god track, you can end up becoming a, a zealot which means that, like, oh, I like this god. I really like this god. Oh, hell, did this god. No, I've lost my mind, and now my entire life with this god is...
1: Yeah, and it, it makes it, your society not as good as it could be. Exactly. as good
0: as it was. So the one point in the game where I really felt really strung along by the mechanics was, um, in the final round, making sure I ended up exactly where I wanted to on that track. Everything else felt like sort of, yeah, bouncing off the sides, the sort of rubber sides of my car bouncing off the rubber sides of this track as I tried to steer towards something that kind of made sense. It's good. I think I'm being as harsh on it as I am because it's so full of good ideas. I,
1: I like the fact that you've got a different opinion about it.
0: Yeah. I find that interesting and useful. Well, we'll see uh, what some other people think because trade, uh, trade on the Tigress is doing the convention circuit at the minute and yeah. uh, there will be should be a few people who have played it. If you've played Trade on the Tigress and you have an opinion, why not yeah. leave a comment? On, yeah, let us know. On shutupandsitdown.com How do you feel about giant killer robots? Oh baby! They're all painted, they're
1: big, they're fancy, it's expensive, it's uh, costly, miniatures Game that is right up our street, right?
0: It's well, it kind of is. It's a lot more like X Wing because, right, when you buy it, you kind of that is like, up our street exactly. Uh, the X Wing miniatures game ping, is ping, what ping, we're talking ping. about. It's so good. (laughs) Um, Giant Killer Robots is a really unusual collaboration between Cryptozoic and Weta Workshop. Yeah. Probably most well known for doing all of the special effects in Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings films.
1: Yeah, all those props and everything.
0: They are a supernaturally talented studio, and you can tell because um, I believe uh, Giant Killer Robots Heavy Hitters, uh, which is the name of this game, or GKR, um, is set in a world that... They're building that involves maybe some tie-in stuff, maybe a comic or something, I'm not Mm. sure. Um, But the world building is all Weta workshop, and it's all lovely. The comic book art is great. It's a future where um, people want salvaging rights in these old, forgotten, post-apocalyptic cities. And the way they do that is they send their big robots in, and it kind of becomes a televised sport. So you've got your enormous stompy mech, but what you really want to do is um, get the support of sponsors. Like, if you do cool stuff, like, snipe someone from between two buildings... Uh, the sponsors start liking you you get more sponsorship cards sponsorship cards are things like companies like you know they've got analogies for like Uber and Amazon in the game Mm. like Pink Elephant and some other stuff like a laxative company might give you what you need to just get moving again uh, on the field it's honestly maybe that sounds trashy no it's
1: just I'm just thinking this future world where like Nike want to sponsor you because you shot a thing in a (laughs) competition to salvage a destroyed city and this is, this is normal. People just watch this and they're like, this is the world that we live in. If GKR was a sport,
0: I would watch it. I'll tell you that much. Well,
1: this is it. I mean, we look at the world that we live in right now and occasionally you're like, what, we've got social media, we've got the most powerful communication tools in the world. That would surely solve our problems, right? No, we're just saying <laughs> dumb animations of dogs falling over.
0: That is what the world leads into. It's kind of, um, it's very self-aware of how kind of dumb and um, schlocky it is, mm-hmm. but in a way that's really like quite classy and yeah. it, the game doesn't feel schlocky. It feels like it's depicting a schlocky world. Um, and speaking of things that aren't schlocky, the main thing people should know about GKR is that the miniatures in it are the nicest sculpts. That as, never mind the fact that they're pre-painted. Just the design on them is stunning. The big robots you each pilot yeah. is like, are like five or six inches tall. They're these lovely assortments of like, you know, um, uh, components and servos and big weapons and mm-hmm. they just look... Awesome. They look incredibly good. And then they have this, they're all painted, right? They're all painted in the factory, so you get these robots. Each robot has some little robots that it can launch as well, so they go on the board. You've got these lovely three-dimensional buildings that you're hiding behind and tagging so you can get salvage rights for each building. You're firing weapons at each other. Uh, It is a spectacle It's beautiful Uh, And unfortunately The game itself Didn't really do anything for me But I will stress The person I was playing with And I think Who I think has a more common attitude Of like The game isn't that important It's more like Just the spectacle of the thing Yeah um, had a great time and immediately looked online uh, to see, you know, if he could buy it. And how much it cost. Well, that's How it. much did it cost? When he saw how much it cost. How much does it cost? He chose not to buy it. I think it's like 120 quid that's or something. That's a lot of pounds. Yeah, it's not actually, I don't think it's unfairly priced. I think for the miniatures you're getting and the big city and the big board and all the cards and all the cards have unique art. Yeah. Which is really good art. You know, I don't think it's an unreasonable thing to uh, price to ask. Um, they also have released an expansion, which is which adds a kind of uh, robot that has been put there by the runners of the sport that people can control, and like, uh, and it has an expansion that adds um, little turrets that mm-hmm. you put down on the buildings. It has an expansion that adds two more mechs, which are called like uh, salty and sweet, and they're pink and of course, but they're so <laughs> cool! Oh, it's so cool! Poor every deck, every robot has its own decks. Everything about it, I adore, except the game itself, and it's led to me fantasizing because I think. It was on the last podcast that I was talking excitedly about Critical Mass, mm-hmm. um, which is the really, really, really good and thematic robot-on-robot robot card yes. game. I realised, playing GKR, that if you could somehow have GKR... Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Oh my god, I never, I never like do thought experiments on Shut Up It's a about, like, oh, I'd be so cool if this game was crossed with this game, but holy crap if you get GKR with the miniatures and with the city that you run around in that's, you know, with three-dimensional buildings and then have the actual game from Critical Mass of people, like, dodging and shooting and it being so um, organic and sexy... Yeah. uh, You might have one of my favourite games ever made. And, like, I know that this stuff is sticky and Weta Workshop have a relationship to cryptozoic and you know yeah. uh, arcane Wonders own critical mass and i don't know how they get in touch with wetter and i obviously <laughs> like i don't think it could actually happen but i want it so much that i'm trying to think well but how feasible that's interesting. is that you're, you're
1: seeing those elements that you really like and you just wish you could put them together
0: yeah that's I, fine it's not unreasonable like i i don't think combining them would be such a such a horrible task but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's a it's a complete pipe dream.
1: I can tell you right now, I'm not going to buy this for 120 pounds. I which would is not recommend anyone. 160, 80 dollars. I don't know what the exchange rate is right now. Yeah,
0: if you want a really good pre-painted miniatures game, you can get the X-wing starter set for like 30 quid, and not only is it like a quarter of the price, but the game's better. Um, Mm. and obviously, you know, Star Wars ships are not big, stompy, beautiful robots I'm just saying that like in terms of a pre-painted miniatures game there's no way we could ever recommend GKR when the X-Wing miniatures game's there. I, I I think people could like if they if money's no object, they could buy it and probably have a pretty good time. It's 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 a luxury title for luxury people. Yeah, and I just wanted to get I'm I'm pretty much done talking about it. Um, <laughs> I don't even nece- I'm not even particularly interested in talking about why the game that's like it's a fine game. It's, yeah, you play cards that are weapons and you play cards that are movement, you manage your energy. Your deck of cards, which is all of the special things you can do and all your weapons, is also your hit points. So as, as you yep. get hit, you discard cards off the deck. Fair enough. I've seen that, that before. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 fine. Like I'm. I wanted to talk about it because the world building and the miniatures are so, so, so good. And I swear there's an alternate timeline somewhere where Weta wanted to do this and chose, like, a different publisher to collaborate with who were able to, like, do the miniatures justice and make a really great game. Um, That's not what's happened. Um, But yeah, if if you want to look into this, if you want just the most beautiful pre-painted miniatures I've ever seen. If you're just really into big robots, why not Google GKR, do a bit of homework, and see if it's uh, something you're interested in? Because... It's, I can't, honestly, we were talking about whether to talk about this game before the podcast. And yeah, I was and Paul, how much time there would be in the conversation about yeah, this. Yeah, and I said to Paul, like, look, what's the point of talking about this game on a podcast? Because the game's not interesting, and <laughs> it's an audio medium, which means I can't show people how beautiful it is. But whatever you're doing, like, go and Google the robots from GKR right now and be stunned at how good looking they are. You know what we can talk about then? Oh, is it time? It's,
1: uh, Root O'Clock. It it's w- time to talk about the Vagabond, the Woodland Alliance,
0: the... Keep going. The uh, other ones and the, the- flappy boys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, there's a good chance we're going to be talking about this as well next week with Matt. Mm. Um, and with Paul and I are currently. Well, you've
1: played it with a bunch of different people now.
0: Yeah, I have. And it's all in preparation for our review, which will be going live next month. A lot of other board game publishers are putting their reviews of Root... Board game publishers. Board game review sites are putting their reviews of Root online already. Um, Not to, like, badmouth anybody who's already reviewed Root, um, but Root is the game that Shut Up and It Down feels we need to play... F- like a bunch a, a bunch More different s- people different factions different
1: combinations
0: yes so yeah. our review is going to take a while to come but we are hoping for it to be the definitive review um, but we will tease you by uh, you know now by first off telling you what Root is but also saying We're having a great time with it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So do you want to describe Root to people?
1: Root is a very asymmetrical game of trying to conquer the forest, I suppose, Mm. Uh, being whether you are the forest animals or the birds of the subversive woodland alliance, which I was and I won and I'm very excited about that, (laughs) or you as the roaming vagabond, which isn't really a faction so much as a person who just walks around collecting objects and making friends with some people and making enemies with others. Yep. It has a bit of area control, I guess, because you have a map where, depending upon which faction you are, control of areas matters, but not in your case as the Vagabond, (laughs) or it's got a bit of that subversive hidden buildup of powers, which was more of my faction, because I wasn't good in open conflict, but I was good at sneaking around the board and dropping tokens. And then it's got this, only for the bird faction, this sort of order programming sub-game mechanic where you create a bird government. And every turn the bird government has to follow its bird government instructions like move, build, fight. And then if the bird government goes wrong, it collapses. (laughs) Because of course it would. But every player is doing a different thing has a different set of rules. And this is exactly why we have to play it a bunch because you have to understand your own faction. Then you have to understand how the other factions work and what they're trying to achieve. And to be good at root and to really get it, you have to be able to be good at being yourself and also subverting... What everyone else
0: is doing, right? Um, and it's funny because we played last night with a couple of people who didn't don't play that many board games. No, but and they they did pretty well. Yeah, they were fine. Yeah, it's, and um, but trying to explain it to them was really funny because you know we were in the pub before everyone got there, and I was saying to um, our friend Thomas, it's an interesting game because we all play uh, sort of with different factions and he was like oh yeah loads of video games do that and I was like no we're all playing different games and he's like so we're at different tables and I'm like no we're playing in the same <laughs> on the same boards with different factions that all play with different rules but all interact in weird ways and it makes it really exhausting to teach because I've got the rules explanation down I can teach it in like what 20 and minutes that,
1: yeah that part of the evening actually went pretty well yeah but yeah. it's
0: it's tiring for me because it's the weird thing of like Teaching everyone their rules in turn, but where everyone still has to pay attention to, like, the factions that um, yeah. that aren't them. Yeah. But, you know, like, Paul, you played the sort of rebels in the forest who just wanted to stop the war and take control of the forest again. But you didn't have any of the, like, notes that were, for example, printed in front of the cats or the birds. Mm-hmm. So, like, you could listen to me talking about the cats, but you don't have any of the prompts to, like, help you remember this stuff. And then, of course, yeah, the Vagabond is just basically playing The Witcher and walking around, like, going on quests and helping different people and killing other people and trying to, like, come out on top. It is nuts, which is fitting because it's all set in a forest. (laughs) Um... Yeah, and we've had uh, some... There have been some mixed responses uh, to mm-hmm. it initially. Some of our friends have gotten maybe a little bit frustrated at one element or another. Yeah. Some of our friends have had a great time out the gate. Some people are good at it, some people aren't. Um, and But one thing that is consistent throughout all of this, everyone I have showed it to wants to play it again.
1: That I mean, that says something right away. Yep. Also, I mean, I'm thinking back now to the other evening, and I'm thinking how... I thought I was playing it wrong when I started because I got off to a slow start. And actually, looking back, I'm thinking, I probably did that about the right way. I probably paced things about right. But if I'd tried to go too fast or if I hadn't thought hard enough about my faction, yeah. you know, I could have actually uh, gone too fast too soon Yeah, or left things too slow. And I feel like I got my faction. If I'd been playing a different faction, maybe I wouldn't have got them first time over. So maybe I also you know, put my toe in the water at the right time and I can totally see how other people would start with a faction that they don't quite agree with or doesn't suit their style so much.
0: Yeah, um, and one thing I'm trying to think of, like... I've started writing bits of the review Um just the it's like the explanatory bits and um, I don't know what to tell people one of the things that is a big part of the conversation around Root is that it looks really cuddly the art by Kyle Farron is stunning yes Um, it's all but it's very cute yes um, it's I love it there's an amount oh yeah you couldn't stop looking at every single card just just I was
1: I like took photos of like half a dozen different cards just like a a bunny bank or something and then some subversive bunny assassins and, <laughs> because often they look very happy and jovial and then occasionally it just looks very creepy and then it's just, what is this? It's a mouse in a bag and you're like... But why is that mouse carrying another mouse in a bag?
0: Yeah, why is this bird flying off with a fox in its claws, you know? It's yeah. very kind of sweet, but also very aware of, like, natural selection. <laughs> yes. Not natural selection, but, like, you know, dog-eat-dog dog style. Yes. Um, but, and people have been saying that doesn't quite work, because it is a really uh, cutthroat war game. Yeah. And so it's unusual, isn't it, for a war game to have these cute animals? And I've, I don't care. I like it. <laughs> I, it's not that I don't care. I actually disagree with that. Because okay. I think calling Root a war game is not even accurate. No. Because I would call it an ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. And this is why we want to play it a bunch. This is why I've played it like four times now, and I'm sort of only... Now starting to pick up some of the subtleties, which is really unusual for Shadow and Sit Down. Usually, I can play a game once and and, have and a get lot of a it good down. angle
1: on it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Roots, I'm still just figuring out. Like, oh wait, no, this is how you play this faction. Um, and when I talk about it being an ecosystem, what I mean is that you don't actually get the chance to do much on your turn and what other players can do to you on their turns like if i'm playing the birds oh i flap around and build a birds nest over here but then the cats might attack me and the vagabond might give me a card and the you know the woodland alliance might cause a rebellion that destroys everything i've got in one particular space you cannot do half as much as the other players can do to you if they choose to. Mm. Which means that a lot of the game is trying to not play a war game, not strategize. If you play the cats, who play a lot like a traditional strategy game, it's not about just figuring out exactly where to place the buildings. So much of the game is in knowing what other factions want to do. So, for example, you playing the Woodland Alliance, you place those little sympathy tokens down to show which areas are sympathetic. It's not enough to just as the cats build your buildings cleverly and have armies in the right places. You also have to know exactly you know, which spaces might turn f- from sympathy to rebellion. And if those spaces turn into, from a full-blown rebellion into a rebel base, you have to know how much the rebel player is going to care about protecting that. You have to understand each faction on such a deep level in order to truly play well, Because you cannot just rely on your own actions that you can do on your turn. You have to be able to predict everyone at the table in order to play really well. Which is nightmarish because, obviously, you can't really understand exactly how every faction works until you've played each faction, like, twice. And I should stress as well that I'm kind of really beating myself off about this because, like, wanting to get a good review because... Mm Uh, Because it's so easy to be like, oh, well, Root's really interesting, it's really exciting, and it is. But my goodness, trying to figure out if it's a really, truly good strategy game and not just a novelty, that's kind of what I'm chasing. Like, do I feel... That's valid. Do I feel that if I get really good at Root and understand it, and I'm better than my friends, I can win every time? Or is it a game with so much chaos that even if I'm really good at the game, I... No matter how well I play, I can't hope to beat just the random nature of three other factions doing their own things that are completely different to mine. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: it very much does. And that's interesting. And I don't know what to tell you about that, except I guess we will find out the more combinations of things that happen
0: yeah and i'm i'm feeling confident that i'll figure it out before the review uh next month but yeah let's not go too high end you so you are probably i got a good first impression yeah you are closer to how most people listening to this podcast will be you were excited about root you played it you had a good time yeah did you have a particular highlight aside from winning uh winning um i guess
1: the highlight it's not a particular moment it's more the fact that i very frequently didn't feel like i was winning because mm. I kept trying to create support and it kept being crushed all the time. And particularly because the uh, the orange player who's this cats, owls, whatever Cats. The, you didn't even know what animal they'd look a bit like owls on the player board. Sure. Um because the round
0: face, yeah, I see I that. I guess
1: so. And there's this thing where he, what he was also called Paul, and he was building up huge collections of forces. And in theory, with a the rebellion, I can flip an area that he controls immediately. I can just destroy everything that's there.
0: Yeah, the mouse or the foxes in that area just go nuts and yeah. rip apart all the army barracks. And- Which is
1: great, but also like he was very aware of that. And it became a thing of me thinking, I can't actually do that. I will never be able to do that because he is more concerned about me than anything else. Yes. So I put those down and then expect those to be quashed and then eventually have a rebellion in the middle of the board where no one controls anything because nobody cares. Exactly. And that became my base of operations, which allowed me to basically uh, distribute forest propaganda to people to be like, (laughs) stop the war. Get rid of Nixon.
0: (laughs) Well, this is why it's so weird, right? Because um, your game was defined by uh, not being able to cause rebellions in that space because that player was afraid of you. Mm. So what I'm saying is that the bizarre thing about Root is you need to play not sort of the game in front of you, but you need to play what your friends think the game is. Because I've seen Like, the game I played uh, before, the one I played with you last night, Mm -hmm. the one before, because the Woodland Alliance had won the first game I'd played we were so afraid of the Woodland Alliance that we didn't let them get off the ground, which meant yeah. the Woodland Alliance player was never going to win. So you're in this bizarre situation where it's not like, if I know Root really well, I can't just win because I know how each faction works, because every other faction is operating on this weird data point that's incorrect. They'll be like, oh, the birds are weak, or oh, the Woodland Alliance are strong, or oh, if the Vagabond is in this situation, I definitely have to do this. But that player who thinks all those things might be wrong. So, as a good player, you need to know what your friends think of how to play root does that that which is bizarre mm-hmm. like you need to play according to what your friends think the game is, and you might be wrong in what you think the game is, and it's very unusual yeah i I I'm, I'm tying myself in knots over the real strategy of it, but yeah, I will say every game of it I have played, I have had a great time. So, yeah, let's not bury the lead. As much as I'm sort of, like, just losing my mind trying to figure (laughs) out if this four-player asymmetric forest game is truly a grand strategy game or, like, something a little closer to a really, really, really awesome novelty. Never mind, like... I mean, for most players, it being an amazing novelty will be more than enough. If you're you're thinking about pre-ordering Root, I definitely would, because... It's very rare that Shut Up and Sit Down not just has to play a game this many times to explore its depth, but has enjoyed every one of those plays. And this is the thing, and
1: I think I would agree with you on that. I
0: would say it
1: is very much a case of it, either it is terrific or it's just interesting enough that it's absolutely worth all the time that's been poured into it already interesting and beautiful yeah and yeah cute
0: yeah and I think I saw all but confirmed um, the designer um, uh, talking on Board Game Geek recently about how they're pretty gonna do another Kickstarter next year to do another print run and probably there'll be another expansion there's already one expansion for it that adds a beaver yes. faction and lizards and i want to <laughs> <laughs> why are you i didn't know there were lizards i knew there were beavers yeah there's a there's the first expansion for it the river folk expansion yeah. it has a lizard cult and beaver mercenaries i'm really excited to be the beavers uh if you're the beaver then you set your prices for different things like oh my mercenaries cost this much and traveling down on my river boats costs this much and ah. you can change those prices uh for the duration I of the game. Like that. I'm really interested in that. I'm super psyched. I'm playing Root again on Friday. Jeez. I cannot wait. I honestly cannot wait. Um, which hey, maybe that's your review. It's not like me going, <laughs> hmm, but is this game really clever? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't does it matter? I'm I'm gonna play it for like the fourth time in nine days on Friday, and I can't wait. Maybe there that's your review. Screw it, yeah. Yeah. But I'm looking i I think, you know what, Paul? I'd like to film the video review in a forest. Can you believe?
1: Let's buy a forest.
0: Ooh. Put your hand in the mailbag for me a letter. Welcome to the mailbag, a land of emails, questions, me Paul. Hi. Who can imagine what wonders, what other wonders exist <laughs> in this realm? I don't have to because I've already seen this email. Oh, yeah, you have. Uh, our email today comes from Scar Dave uh, from Maplewood, New Jersey, who asks Usually, when I talk to a poker player or sports enthusiast about board games, I'm often asked the following question Do you play for money? After I roll my eyes and explain to them that we don't, they give me a look of disappointment or pity. That brings me to today. I was reading over the Sheriff of Nottingham rulebook, and I thought, what if this game was played with real money? And I have to admit, the idea was intriguing. Mm. Has there ever been a game that you've considered playing with real money? Take care, Scar Dave. Bye, Dave. We will take care, Dave. Thanks. Uh... So, you,
1: first of all, is there one you have considered playing with real money?
0: Well, yeah, when we were really into Skull and playing it, like, finding a reason to play it in a pub, like, every week, which was probably five, six years ago. I mean, Skull is close enough to poker already. Skull is basically poker without the maths. Uh, That, you know, it it made sense to, like, why not play a game of Skull where everyone. With a wager? Yeah, everyone throws in, like, two pounds, or if you're American, $2.4, and, you know, then you've got a pot, and then whoever wins the game gets the pot. Like, and i this is kind of part of a bigger question that i've always had about table games and gaming in general because if you ask gamers to come up with like you know their sort of pipe dream like uh, of just a what is the dream scenario of what gaming might look like in 20 years, someone might say, oh, what if there was just like a whole city that's like a tourist destination where people just go and play games and the whole city's industry is based around people playing games kind of like a permanent board gaming convention that kind of already exists and it's called Las Vegas, you know, obviously like, now, obviously you know, gambling and traditional casino gambling is not Gaming as we know it no, but also it is a form of gaming right and it's and it's not something that table gamers or video gamers really popularly think about or discuss Which has always struck me as super weird. It is especially when shut up and sit down has recommended in the past A Korean video, uh, sorry a game show called the genius. Yes, Um, and you can find the genius illegally uh, on um, on the internet, on, on the internet,
1: get the internet. It's really good.
0: Uh, yeah, but the genius is interesting because really the games they're playing are really familiar to us. It's mm. stuff like you know the Resistance or Dixit, um, but with the with the serial numbers filed <laughs> off, so you don't know. Um, and loads of games that I think would make great board games that I've never seen before. But the genius does it in this, like, James Bond tuxedo and dresses, you know, trading, like, diamonds kind of aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And it's just awesome because it takes everything that's great about, you know, the Ocean's Eleven movies, all those, you know, like, all the rich imagery that comes from casino marketing and then offers it to, like, board games. And it's great. So, yeah, I think, really, this is a great reader question because it kind of taps into something I think about a lot, which is, like, what can we learn from casinos? What can we gain from, uh, you know, from the idea of casinos? There used to be a popular board game in the like '80s, which was just like turn your living room into a casino, mm. and it was like a tiny roulette table and a tiny blackjack table, and people could come over to your house and you show them a room and be like, "Look, my living room has become a Re- casino," Re- Reno. and they're <laughs> like,
1: "Oh yeah, there's all kinds of cigarette smoke stains and spilt and alcohol a, a and a very sad waitress. man." Yeah, I so I have a-, a lot of different feelings about this. Okay,
0: um, hit me with them.
1: Oh boy. Like, fundamentally, like, playing games for money, like, socially with friends, I think, can be very cool. And I've done that in poker a few times. And it it's not the same, but it also makes me think of how I used to play uh, a bunch of roguelike video games that had daily challenges, where it's like, you play through this level once, score that you get is your final score, that's it. Yeah,
0: you used to, and you are I'm, incredibly good at
1: Spelunky. I'm not bad at Spelunky, thank you. And I used to do that with a video game called Nuclear Throne. And it's this, this thing of what you are doing now is... Final.
0: Yeah, there's stakes.
1: Attached, there's stakes. Right? And it's a similar thing for poker for, like, if you lose this, you lose it, and that's it. You're done. Yep. And similarly, like, having been to casinos a couple of times and played in casinos, it is different when every decision involves actual real money that you own that may go
0: away. Um I used to, of course, run like Netrunner tournaments and oh, yeah. tournaments for card games like yes. Magic: The Gathering and Netrunner do have prize support. Right, I would give prizes to people who came to my tournaments. You know, sometimes it was like Netrunner data packs, and yes. sometimes it was little trophies and things. Um, or hilariously, in uh, for the Netrunner UK uh, nationals, mm. um, uh, or oh, might have been re- European regionals. Um, there was one year back when I was playing Netrunner um, where the first prize was. Uh, Flights and hotels to worlds, which is which happens in Minnesota. Flights yeah. and hotels to the world championship, and which second- you've also been at. Is yeah, that I right? have, yes. but not because I won, but because I just but, yeah. Yeah, but the second place prize in that same tournament was a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know that I, that I just find funny. But yeah, like I say, hmm. like, sorry, like you said, no, um, playing for stakes is different, it, and it's really exciting. It is. It's different. It's
1: exciting. I really feel like it changes your brain state and your decision making process. Yeah. Um, and I think all of that is terrific. Yep. I also think casinos are amazingly exploitative. Oh, God, yeah. And I think casino marketing and casino reality are two. I mean, there are certain things in the world that – like, you see things in movies and you see things in real life and they're different. And there are some, like, classic things like – When a car does a jump, it doesn't just keep on driving, it's broken. (laughs) Cars can't do jumps like in the movies. Like that is – and casinos are like that. It's like you go in a casino, it's not really going to be all that glitzy and exciting and full of millionaires who are beating the system because house odds in casinos, it's just – maths and economics it's like whatever you play the house has on average a better chance of winning because otherwise they go out of business yep. which means on average most people lose money mm-hmm. and also on average most people who go there are people who are not familiar with how stacked casinos can be Yes. and they rely on a bit like the national lottery or scratch cards or anything they rely on people not being great at sums or not being as wise as they could be with their money Mm -hmm. to exist
0: yeah so let's maybe I don't want to derail this conversation by talking about casinos I think really what excites me is not casinos themselves because I've been to a bunch and they're all sad (laughs) Um, but what excites me is you know like wearing a tuxedo and playing a card game but like in a nice environment yeah that's that's valid my friend I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before but always wanted to do an evening of two rooms and a boom where the dress code was, like, suits and dresses. Mm. And just, he would was really into food and cocktails, so he would make canapes. Because the loose wrapper around two rooms and a boom is that you're in an embassy anyway, right? Yes. Or or there's a party, you know, a high-class party, so it kind of fits that game. Um, But, yeah, so I don't... Let's not talk about casinos anymore. But, of course, there are no house odds if you're just playing a game with your friends. Yeah. You know, someone... No one, like, loses or gets... There's no house taking the money in that example. Well, this is it.
1: And this is the thing about, like, a circle game of poker, which makes it so much more comfortable for me. It's like most of the money will go to a player rather than some institution. Yeah. And it's much more about you playing the other players rather than playing a house.
0: Yeah, but I definitely would have played Skull for money. Of course, the big problem with playing any board game for money, as as our reader mail was suggesting, is that... Most board games, you don't really know what you're doing for the first one or two playthroughs, or yeah, more. In yeah. the case of Root, apparently, yes. I would never tell you what I'd never play Root for money because no. <laughs> I would just lose and be salty about it. Um, but uh, yeah, if your friends really do know a game and it's a game with, you know, either no luck or low stakes, I was
1: going to say something that is about pushing your luck.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I would definitely play uh, Diamant or otherwise known as Inking. Yeah. Gold. For, like, if everyone puts in a dollar and then you play a game of the amount which lasts about half an hour and you're trying to win five dollars, that just feels, like, fun and correct. And, like, it's all, you know, if it's all... Every time I talk about this in the past... um, People will always say like, well, you know, oh, but Quinn, some people don't have money to lose. And like, as if I, this is a middle class thing, which is just super insulting. To Like as if you can't like lower the stakes and bet if you don't have much money. It's just... It's,
1: you can put a pound in uh, yeah, exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. And it
0: still transforms the game. It's not like, you know, yeah, so some people don't have a pound to lose on entertainment. Everyone spends money on entertainment all the time. That's what we do as humans. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really have an answer for it. And it's not like I've done it. But I would say I've played poker for money. If someone wanted to play a game I liked for money, I would, you know, I'd consider it. I might do it. It might be really great. Were you
1: going to briefly talk about Street Fighter?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, I was. Right. Sorry, I scribbled this at well-remembered, buddy. Hey. Um, so uh, I play a bit of Street Fighter. I'm mm-hmm. terrible. My main is Alex in Street Fighter Five. if anyone's interested. I don't know what that is. <laughs> he is a topless man loosely modelled on Hulk Hogan. And for Street Fighter fans listening, I like him because he has good buttons. <laughs> um anyway um but within the Street Fighter like tournament scene there's this thing called money matches which is where if you're a player who you know thinks they're good and there's another player who you think you're better than you'll mm-hmm. do a money match which might be like you each bring $500 and it's you these usually make for really exciting spectator events because it's two players who've gone i can definitely beat you i have $500 here oh my and word. you put or you know maybe a money match is like $50 each, yeah, whatever but but some of them are really high stakes and obviously crowds gather because the tension of them yeah usually it's like 10 sets as well or something which is like you know that's like 15 20 minutes of street fighter but like the sheer tension of that because it's it's the thing is it's not really about the money is it it's about ego like when i played poker as a teenager and won like a tenner you know when i walked home i wasn't happy because i won 10 pounds i was happy because i put the money up and i beat my friends it's the same pe- reason a lot of people play tournaments it's the thing about gambling in board games would, would never be like, because you want money, or because you're excited by money. It's, it's a way of elevating and make the experience more exciting. If you truly think you're good at something, like in Street Fighter, it's a way of elevating the game. You know, it's, it's a transformative experience, which is why I would never knock this, and which is why I'd like people to maybe, you know, experiment or leave a comment, having tried it out, because... Like I said, yeah, it's not about the money. It's about taking that game and changing it into a game that feels very different. A game that feels more tense and perhaps even more exciting. And certainly more irritating, but like, <laughs> you, know, you know, you take the good with the bad, right?
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. And it is, again, like you say, transformative.
0: Mm, mm. I'm going to transform some vegetables into my lunch now. That's okay. what I'm going to do. do Bye. To, I'll make you lunch.
1: I will have a small amount of vegetables, yeah. Hey. Yeah,
0: I'm going to cook a veg for my good friend. Um, yeah. So, what, what was I going to... What do we say at the end of the podcast? Hey! Bye. Shucks tickets! Oh, uh, yes. <laughs>
1: uh, there are some left.
0: There are literally some left. Shucks is our big convention happening in Vancouver on yes. October the... 12th to 14th. 12th to 14th. It's a weekend. Hey. Uh, we got some tickets available. We got tons of special guests. I'm um, like loads of our best friends in the board game industry are now coming. Mm. Uh, friends at the table, the yes. um, tremendously successful role playing uh, actual play podcast. There, I think almost all of them are going to be coming now. They're oh, really? Be- yeah, they- I know. We had a, at least a couple last time. Yeah, Austin and Jack were confirmed last yeah, time, and now we, we have both a few really more. Really good. Steve Wolfhard is going to be joining us. Uh, who is uh, who was a storyboard artist and writer on Adventure Time, responsible for Daddy Daughter Card Wars. Um, which is the second episode that's about table gaming. Uh, he's doing our poster, so you can come. You can buy a poster designed by him, get it signed. You can meet us. Obviously, <laughs> that's like so far down my list of reasons to come to Shucks. Um, but yeah, we've got a, a great library. We've got so much going on, yes. and like it's just looking like a better and better and better show. We've got so many people saying like, "Oh, I'm definitely going to come next year," but like, why not come this year? <laughs> you know, why not come down to Vancouver if you're local. We don't
1: reasonably we, local.
0: Reasonably local, yeah. Because it's only a few weeks away now and we are so excited. We are.
1: We have some tickets left. It's a good idea to get them now because what we've been told by everyone is a couple of weeks before the convention there will be the last minute rush where they all get bought. And because we've now sold like 85% plus, it's like we're in that thin needle zone between like you can get one now without any hassle or if you leave it a few more weeks they will just all go.
0: Yeah, so why not uh if you're thinking about coming to Shucks why not uh, come along or if you want to know a bit more what it's like you can go to the shut up and sit down forums. Uh hey, we haven't plugged them in a while, but that's a lovely community yeah. of people. Lots of it whom, is good. lots of whom went to Shucks last year. So, um we also want to provide a lot of support for people for whom this would be their first board gaming convention. Yes. If you've never been to a board gaming convention before, you should know that Shucks. Shucks is aimed at you. We've got tons of volunteers and the whole layout of the show is designed so that when you arrive, you can find a group, you can find games, you can learn about all kinds of cool designs, you can meet people. Um, But if you still have more questions, then you can find out more information at shucks.show or you can head to the Shut Up and Sit Down forums, which is available through a button on (laughs) shutupandsitdown.com and you can ask people about, hey, what was it like at Shucks? And they'll all go, it was nice uh, last year. Yeah, and that's me shilling is weird isn't it it's it like, is a bit. It's like come to this thing we're doing it's gonna be great but it is gonna be great <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week with uh, Matt Lees we know he's been absent from the podcast for a while but um, uh, yeah next episode he's fine Matt's gonna return he's fine <laughs> <laughs> take care everybody Bye-bye. bye bye